Hey, welcome to the Missio Day podcast. Check us out on the web at missiodeschicago.com. We're going to be a little all over the place, uh, 12, 13, 14, but I want to read from 1 Corinthians 12. It says this, Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. Now, there are a variety of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are a variety of service, but the same Lord. There are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all and everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. The word of the Lord. Amen. You guys can have a seat. All right. So uh, we are, if you're new with us, um, welcome. My name is Brian. I'm so good to see you. I'm honored you're here. If you are here uh, peeking into the fence of Christianity, kind of what is this thing? I kind of gave up on it. I'm kind of curious again. Welcome. I just want you to know this is a, a place for you to belong and be, be seen and be safe and have your questions and be curious. Um, we are a church seeking to join God as he makes all things new in this city. And we've been in this series on the Holy Spirit. Um, it's, has it been, you guys have been enjoying the series? Okay, thank you. On the margins, we got some on the margins that like it. Um, middle, we're still working. But uh, so I, I need to let you know that if you're new, you're kind of jumping in at the back end of a conversation. Uh, we've been talking a lot for four weeks of who the Spirit is. Let me just share with you where we've been. Uh, we did an overview of the Holy Spirit throughout the Old Testament and New Testament, just the big narrative of the Spirit. The biggest thing you need to know is when the Spirit is there, it brings life. It brings life to all that's involved, and it speaks, and then it, uh, we see this word ruach in Old Testament that means God's breath. It's God's presence and power. So if you think Holy Spirit, think God's empowering presence. That's uh, who the Holy Spirit is. It's God's empowering presence. Uh, we also looked at how we need a call, a wake-up call, to be desperate for the Spirit, church. Uh, we just read there that like no one can call Jesus Lord except by the Spirit. Uh, and everything we are doing as Christians is supernatural, spiritual, but yet very earthly and very natural and ordinary combined together. And that we need to be desperate that apart from the Spirit of God, we can do nothing. Uh, then we looked at how we experience the Spirit as the face of God, that just as Moses was someone who was known for talking with God face to face, we are to be known with that sort of intimacy. And in in Jesus represented the face of God in literal form, but when he said, I'm going, it's good for me to go away. It's good for me to go away to send the helper, the comforter, to actually send my presence. And when you experience my Spirit, um, you feel intimacy. That's what you feel. And then uh, Bam talked about yielding to the Spirit. What does it mean to say yes to where the Spirit says go? And, and we looked at Stephen as a Spirit-filled life. Um, you guys remember we talked about those goals of being unified, of having the power of the Spirit, theological depth, courage, and love. And then today, we're going to now move into like the stuff the Spirit does. Cool? Um, so uh, we're talking um, what's historically been called about spiritual gifts. So um, if you're new to all this, basically we believe as Christians that the Holy Spirit has been deposited to us, that Jesus said, now we as a community are the, the body of Christ. Such a weird mystery and beautiful mystery. We kind of say that flippantly, 
like, oh, yeah, you've heard that before, body of Christ, it sounds cute. But, like, no, like, like he thinks and sees us as, like, in holding the Spirit of God and the expression of Jesus in each and every person who calls Jesus Lord, and that we now are the tangible body of Christ. That is just, that should blow our minds right now, that we manifest somehow collectively what Jesus was individually to the world. And that he's given all of us these different gifts and abilities and, and empowered us and fanned into flame Jesus' character to kind of be expressed through each and every one of us. Uh, and so it, it, when the scripture talks about this body, um, he, in 1 Corinthians, let me give you a little context, he then begins to speak to this church that was just had a lot of crazy stuff going on. Uh, Corinthians, let me give you a little background to this church. Uh, this church was one of the most gifted in terms of like expressing the Spirit, uh, but they were also one of the most immature. Uh, they were a Holy Spirit-infused church, but they were immature, moody, and one that didn't really love each other very well. Um, so uh, you need to know the context. that This church was like crazy filled with people who saw themselves as spiritual, but they didn't have love. Now, I would say in our context, we're a church that's more known for having love, but yet we don't like press into the, the spiritual. Uh, and so you need to know that. Um, lots of gifts, very little love. Paul writes this letter to this church, and he says, here, I need to let you know, he, he's getting these letters from other people, and it's like a mini-series on HBO, like crazy stuff. There's um, a man sleeping with his stepmother. Uh, sexual promiscuity is rampant. Uh, they are excluding the poor in their meals. There's a lot of division um, later in 1 Corinthians, he's one, they, he says, like, no longer is it I'm with Paul, this leader, or Apollos, this leader. He's like, you're with Jesus. And then in 1 Corinthians 2, he says, some of you are, are uh, he uses the term, the spiritual people. Like, he literally calls them, there's a spiritual group that calls themselves the spiritual people. And then there's the people who are the Jesus people. And the spiritual people, the people are like, we're spiritual. They're like, we're of Jesus. They were in conflict. And there was like division within the church, and he's writing to them because um, there was little ability to settle this conflict. And so the good thing of this is what I want to encourage you with is this church had many struggles, but with all the struggles, the Holy Spirit still poured itself out, his, himself out. Um, that the, the, the Spirit is a gift and is given freely, as what we see. Now, um, so if you're all new to Christianity, just, just hang in there with me, but this is where Christians have just called the spiritual gifts. Now, I want to um, break this down for you because I've been um, studying it, and I want to show you like, some different nuances. I want to first like, tell you the traditional view that spiritual gifts are taught. Um, nothing wrong with it. It's just I think it's a little off kilter. All right? So um, tell me if this is familiar to you. Um, spiritual gifts is an ability you get when you become a follower of Jesus. Right? It's, a, it's an ability that you get when you become a follower of Jesus. And you at least have one gift. You, everybody's got at least one. You might have two or three, but you got one, all right? Um, and then there's a list of like Romans has a list, Ephesians has a list, and 1 Corinthians has a list. And there's over 20 different lists. And then someone's like, hey, you know what? Like if you want to know what you could do is you could go take a spiritual gift test. You could go online and take this test, and it'll tell you like your top three. And then that's the, your gifts. Anybody familiar with this at all? Okay, it's a little weird. All right, so um, then what we do is we say, now go like try to practice this stuff or just listen to what people say you're good at and that's your gifts. And then you're just left just confused of what to do. And then what happens is you take this test and you're like, oh my gosh, 
administration. But he got healing. What's up with that, God? Like, I got administration. They get to heal people. This sucks. I don't like this gift, this thing. And you don't know what to do with this whole thing. And you're like, how am I supposed to function in this church with this gift? I need, a, I need a ministry to jump into, but I can And then it becomes a weird thing. Can I just be honest? It's a way for people of power to control people. It's a way that people have said, you know what? You don't have that gift. You can't do that because that's not your gift. You took the spiritual gift test. You didn't have that. Anybody else had that happen? Nobody? All right, let's just get real. So what happens is, is this whole system is completely flawed and not what Paul was doing. Paul was not thinking of these individual gifts in, how, in this way. Remember the context. There was a lot of conflict, all right? Now, I want you to think about um, when there's all this conflict, every single time, in every one of these chapters of these books, he's saying, um, he says a warning every single time. I don't want you to be puffed up or proud because of who you are and what you're good at. There's these divisions. Remember, there's people who are like, we're the spiritual ones. And there's these other people who are like, we're this. And he is listing all these different ministries that we get involved with. Um, and ministry is not in an organized sense, but in like the fact that ministry just means loving people. And so what he's saying is like, these are all the different ways that the Holy Spirit resides in you that gets expressed to express the very life of Jesus to people in a real way. All of the gifts are just ways that Jesus loved people. He loved people. He saw things that they could never see, and he spoke into them. He washed people's feet. He preached and taught. He spoke, uh, he confronted corrupt religious leaders. With, he confronted uh, power that was used in a way to harm people. He did all these things, and so it was just the way that the church could love. And so we've gotten it all wrong. Like, we've been over here going like, God, give me this gift, give me this gift, give me this gift. That's not what Paul wanted. He wanted us to just see the needs of the community and press in. So we saw in life of Stephen. Stephen was like this guy who was like, hey, you're on the benevolence team now. There's widows that need to be fed. He's like, all right, I'll do that. And it says, then Stephen did signs and wonders, which is usually synonymous with like healing and prophecy. He's like, all right, yeah, person's sick. I'm going to pray for them. In the name of Jesus, be gone. Then he sees these people uh, in the synagogue, in the Greek synagogue. He goes and evangelizes and teaches them a theologically treatise that we're still living on today where he walks through the entire Old Testament in a, in a three-page sermon, the longest sermon we have in the Scriptures besides the Sermon on the Mount. You see what I'm saying? So Stephen just says, I am spirit-filled. I see a need. I'm pressing in. Now, no longer do we have to have this weird thing that like, oh my gosh, I don't have this gift. I do have this gift. All of these gifts are for all of us. They're for all of us. They're for, for every single one of us. All right, so I'm trying to get, let me, I want to now just, um, I got way ahead of myself. Let me slow down a little bit. <laughs> all right, so I want to show you this. So for, go to the next slide. A um, uh, couple, couple more. All right, so in those first two slides, all right, 1 Corinthians 12, this is why you guys need the Bibles, you guys. Bible, it's helpful. Uh, right, 1 Corinthians 12, he says, now concerning spiritual gifts is what the translation says. It says, now if you have a little footnote in your Bible and you go down, there's a little number by spiritual gifts. You look down and it says, or spirituals or spiritual people. I've actually reached out to the NIV translators and said, why did you do this? Why did you do this? It's, like, it, it's just like a tradition, a translation tradition. Like this is not spiritual gifts. He's saying in this place, pneumaticos, to the spirituals, to the people, remember the conflict, to the spiritual group. This is the term they use to call themselves. We are the spiritual ones. He 
says, now to you, now go back to that slide. Now, now you're going to see it make way more sense. Go back to 12.1. There you go. Now, does this make sense? Now, concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I don't want you to be informed. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. It's like, what? Now, concerning the spiritual group, I don't want you to be uninformed. Like, you're puffed up with the spirituality, but remember, you know what? You were once pagans. You can't be puffed up. You were led astray to mute idols yourself. How can you tell them that they were led astray by mute idols when you were once that way? You are, we're all lost sheep, all needing of God's grace. And therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking the Spirit of God can ever say Jesus is a curse. This is the vision of Spirit in Jesus. No one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. Now he's bringing both groups into equality. Do you see that? He's equalizing everything. All right, so that's, that's then the next, next slide. Then he says, now there are a variety of gifts. This word gifts is charismata. It's just the word to give freely. There's, so never in Scripture do you actually see spiritual gifts together, ever. They're never together. Now, I'm not saying we need to leave here and go correct every Christian that says, well, spiritual gifts, they're not actually spiritual gifts. It's fine. But there's a nuance in the way we live and the way we function in seeing that this is, these gifts are made to just express the love of Jesus. And he's actually listing all these gifts to give equal representation. Think about race. Think about our culture of how we need to have equal representation. He's saying there's equal representation in this body. All right, so that's my big soapbox on spiritual gifts. All right, so today I want to talk about the gift of prophecy. All right, um, the reason why I want to talk about prophecy is I think it is a gift that we neglect. Now, again, there's no greater, there's no greater gifts. They're all the same. Um, they're all meant things that we are to press into and, and move in and out of freely as we see the need. Um, and they are grace. They are given to you. You can't earn them. And no one is better than the other. Um, so we're going to talk about prophecy today. Now, before I move forward, I just need to address a couple of groups of people. Um, we had a leadership retreat uh, this weekend, and um, we had a late night dinner and karaoke night. It was crazy. So I'm going to represent the different groups of people in this room through song titles. So, first people to think about prophecy is group number one, Crazy in Love. Who's that by? Beyonce. Okay, so you're like, oh yeah, prophecy, let's bring it, I'm so excited. You're, and, you're, and you're excited because you love the things of God. You love when God moves, you love, and this is good. You, anytime you can see someone tangibly hungering for God's presence, you get excited. That's a good thing. Um, some of you are being like, let's get crazy. Let's get crazy, please. I've been waiting to get crazy for so long. <laughs> and it's like, I'm crazy in love with prophecy. All right, can we do this? So it's this, this group of people. This is all in love, guys. So I'm crazy in love with all of you. So uh, for this group of people, I would say, like, you need a, that's great that you're excited, but you need, like, a feel. This is something maybe you inherited something you've been practicing, but I want to give you just a theological foundation today so you can strengthen your gift and grow in your gift. Amen? Um, second person, say it ain't so. <laughs> Weezer. All right, so this, this person is, uh, oh my gosh, you're nervous. There's like a lot of anxiety. The word prophecy brings up a lot of fear. Um, what's going to happen? Um, yeah, just a lot of anxiety about what this could be. Um, you're like, oh, when I think of prophecy, I think of like prophecy updates. Like, is this church going to give prophecy updates? Like, what Israel, what's going on with Israel and how it happens in the end times? Like, no, we're not giving prophecy updates. Um, so, uh, with this group, I would just encourage you that like, maybe this is because you're unfamiliar. 
Um, maybe it's because you've had a background where you've been hurt by someone trying to use their spiritual gift. Um, so I want today to be a source of healing for you. Uh, I want this to be a, a place for you to experience healing in that and for you to press into something that's meant to be used for good, uh, something that's God designed for love and good for you all to practice. And this would be a normative thing in our church culture. Amen? And then lastly, I want to say um, communication breakdown by Led Zeppelin. You're like, what in the world are we talking about? Like, I have no clue. You're looking at the friend that brought you here, and you're like, why did you do this to me? Why did you bring me here? What is this? I'm sorry, um, but at the same time, you're in a great spot because you're, you have no baggage with this, and you're here to like just hear from God and explore. So you're in the perfect spot, if that's you. Cool? So now what I want to do is just run through a story and then give you a definition. Um, a lot of the biblical story of God speaking, give you a definition of prophecy. So um, I want to do some equipping today. Um, and so, uh, first of all, the Old Testament opens up with Genesis 1, that the breath of God spoke into creation. The breath of God spoke creation into being. So the very beginning of our book of the scriptures is God speaking. He's a speaking God. He's revealing himself. All throughout the scriptures is stories of people who heard from God. Uh, and so uh, it says that when God formed man and woman, he breathed into the nostrils and he, the breath of God entered into man and woman, and they were animated. So everybody, in a sense, that's made in the image of God has been breathed the breath of God in them in that universal sense that they are alive and made in the image of God. Um, and so uh, what, is Adam and Eve, what does God say when they rebel and say, we're going to do it our own way? He says, eventually, from every one of us will be dust you came, dust you shall return. And so what leaves us? The Ruach, the breath leaves us. So the very thing that animates us is the breath of God. And then um, this, this longing for God's presence continues, and it says that Adam and Eve walked with God in the cool of the day. It actually says that they, when they, they rebelled, they heard the sound of God walking. That's, I think about how intimate that is, that they actually heard the sound of him coming towards them, that that's how intimate they were with God. And so uh, over time, uh, we did what was right in our own eyes, and we rebelled against God. Humanity did, and it ricocheted and touched everything. And yet now there was a few people who just longed to be in God's presence, and we see that in Moses, that Moses would meet with God, hear his voice, and then speak to the people what he heard. So he would hear God's divine revelation and then speak what he heard. Uh, and then this would go on into the Old Testament, and then there was prophets that arose. Uh, and they would speak uh, both things that they saw needed to happen. Now, I want to just distinguish here, for the Christians who've been doing this for a while, it can be confusing. Old Testament prophets spoke uh, truth to power and energized uh, justice and leveled out unrighteous living by speaking truth. Um, we have those today that are non-Christians that still have that gift. They're just called comedians. All right, and so in in, in in artists, but as a Christian, they spoke into that critical moment with the truth of God that was revealed in the past through Scripture, and they spoke into that moment. That's the gift. Uh, that's like a prophet, Old Testament prophet. The gift of prophecy is a little different. I just want to give you that caveat. Take that, hold it right here. All right, so um, then uh, comes this prophet named Joel, and he says, you know what? There's going to be a day where we're longing for God. He used to speak with God in Adam and Eve, but now we're like struggling to hear his voice as a people. And what is happening as God abandoned us? He said, I got this vision and this promise from God that one day 
He says this in Joel 2. He says, and it shall come to pass that I will pour out my spirit on you. I will pour out on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. So, so men and women, no longer is this a patriarchal thing in their culture. Um, this was a time when women, this would have been absurd. Now he's like, men and women, no, you are all equal. This is the great equalizer. that You will all sp- preach and speak God's words to each other. Um, your old men shall dream dreams because they're wise and they have still hope to speak the dreams of God over the young. And the young are going to see visions. And he says that even the male and female servants in those days, I will pour out my spirit. In other words, like this, those who are oppressed will then rise up and be equal and have a voice and be leading people. That you will, that's what, did you ever realize the whole, act, the whole thing where Paul's like, you're servants of Jesus, not you're, you're slaves to Christ? He uses that language. That is one sense, yes, we are obedient to, the, to our Lord, but he's also doing a radical communal thing that's saying, creatively, he's saying, even the slave now, I'm using this metaphor because even the slave can lead the person of power in the church. And so now he's, he's, he's equalizing everything and saying, this is this thing. And then if Jesus comes and he, uh, he says, I'm going to send the Spirit. And then when he dies and raises again, uh, the people are gathering in one accord, waiting for the Spirit. And there's a rushing wind of fire that comes. And this fire comes over every people. And they speak these languages that no one understands. But yet, uh, it would be like me speaking um, my language, but you hearing it in Italian, if you spoke Italian, and this, this really radical thing happens, and then Peter said, they, everybody's confused, they're like, they're drunk. This is weird. And he, Peter says, let me explain what's happening, and he quotes Joel too. He says, this is the fulfillment. Now everyone, because in the Old Testament, it was for a particular person, particular time, now it's for everybody to speak it, all right? So, that's kind of a picture of God speaking. Now, um, I want to say this, as we, a biblical definition of prophecy is this. A simple definition is just speaking, uh, what, speaking out loud what God brings to mind on behalf of an individual or a group. Um, or make it a little bit more further, it would be a, a divine revelation that God gives you um, on behalf of a person or a group. Um, and it's, so it's, it's really that simple. It's really, we make it way too complicated. It's, it's, it's hearing from God, and um, that in a way, now, this, we have the scriptures that are authoritative in our life, and this, this gift uh, complements that. It complements that. And so uh, there's a lot of objections. Some would say, hey, Brian, you're right, absolutely right. The, the biblical story you said is absolutely true. Um, but now God ceased to speak that, that way. Um, there's some people who believe that, that God doesn't really speak that way anymore. Um, that was the way he did, and then they would say, um, these would be called cessationists. Now, as I say that, I want you to remind you the church is very broad, and we have a lot to learn from this massive group of people who follow Jesus that is beautiful and diverse, but yet we can have our own convictions and yet love and disagree, and they are not our enemies. People with different views of this are not our enemies. We're going to be living with them in the new heavens and new earth, we might as well speed up the process and just start doing it now, right? So, so that's very important. But I would say that this view that God has stopped speaking, I just want to say this, that I think it's, it's very flawed. Um, it's very flawed. Uh, I'll say that for three reasons. One, um, experientially, I, I believe that I sense, I just would have to wipe away a lot of time that I've spent with God and feel like I've heard from him. Just have to like ignore that and say that's not, that wasn't real. Two, uh, that's, that's small. That's the smallest one. Second, second reason is just um, 
this uh, sense of philosophical reason um, in which that God is consistently speaking and um, you look throughout the scriptures and the whole book is about God speaking. And it's like, how could he just stop? Like, basically these people who say God stopped, they say, well, when did it stop? And they say, well, it's the fourth century when the canon was closed, when the scriptures were finally finished. I don't think Paul, when he's talking about, when he, oh, so let me get you the verse, first of all, that where people say that they think he stopped in 1 Corinthians. Are you guys okay with this? Yeah. Is this helpful? All right, cool. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 13. This is the love chapter that everybody thinks is just for weddings. It's actually in the midst of sandwiched and midst of spiritual gifts. And uh, he says that uh, this, this is where people would say, C says, um, love, love never ends, right? So he's, remember, the, the conflict. As for prophecies, they'll pass away. So they'll say, okay, so prophecies, they'll pass away. And for tongues, they'll cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. So what they say, what, what they say is that this, that see, that when the perfect comes, it'll pass away. And the perfect is referring to the scriptures and the canon being closed. And that probably happened around the fourth century. Therefore, all this has passed away. That was meant, it was just kind of like a spiritual boost, the spirits, this was given as just a boost to get the church going. And I'm like, how could you think Paul thought of the scripture Canaan being closed in the fourth century? Like, no. So what is he talking about? Let's keep reading. So the perfect, what is this perfect? Um, he says, when I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, mirror dimly but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know fully as I have been fully known. So now faith, hope, and love abide, but these three greatest of these is love. So he's saying that we, we see dimly now, but we'll see face to face. That's this picture of in the end, we'll see Jesus face to face. So when Jesus comes back, that's the perfect. That's when this will be no more. We won't need prophecy. We won't need these things because we'll see Jesus face to face. But in then we prophesy in part. We're all human. Whenever it's happening, we, can't, we, we don't sit there and say, thus saith the Lord. Like that's not the way we we communicate this. It's communicated humbly because we, he says we prophesy in part because we know in part. We get this sense. I get this image. I get this impression that maybe this is what God's doing. Like, test it. Like, is this real? Is this, is this what you think God's doing? And so, um, it, it, so biblically, this is flawed that, that, that this sense of completion comes. We see it's when Jesus returns. So, I um, just want to address that. Um, and then I want to get into just kind of the, the main points of prophecy, what is it for? First of all, the aim is love. As I mentioned, this is sandwiched in between um, the aim of the gifts, like the goal is that someone would just feel the intimate love of God, the intimate love of God, that you would be known and seen, that you would not doubt that he no longer sees you and knows you, and you would no longer doubt that he wasn't with you. That's the gift. That's, that's what it's for. And, and the aim is love. And so I want to equip you. So as you're practicing this, um, ask God to put people on your heart. Like say, hey, like God, would you put someone on my mind and heart? And then ask, um, and, uh, so two, two ways. At, say, God, would you put someone on my heart? Or if you sent something from God, slow down enough to say, who is this for? Slow down enough to be like, who is this for? Because it may be for someone. It may be for someone else. Um, and so thirdly, I would say immerse yourself in God's word. Um, because when you immerse yourself in God's word, you're going to be more in tune to what God wants to say because this is, the clear revelation that we have, the clearest revelation we have. 
Uh, and so we, we immerse ourselves in God's word when we practice this. So, Missio Dei, follow the way of love. And in a second, he says, eagerly desire the gifts. Remember, the gifts, they're freely given. Eagerly desire all the stuff the Spirit wants to do through you freely. That's what he's saying. Especially prophecy. So he's getting into the fact that this is something that all of us should be hearing from God and being able to speak it into each other's life to bring life. Isn't that beautiful? That like what we're doing, guys, we can't. The church, like so long, we just programs and budgets and chairs and all. Like there's nothing less. We, We are trying to raise people from the dead. Like that is what we're doing as, there's nothing we can bring to that. There's nothing we can do to do that. Like, we are powerless. Powerless. So we must hear from God. I was telling leadership retreat, you guys remember that movie, Weekend at Bernie's? Like, where they, like, prop, the guy dies, and they try to keep him alive, and they prop him up, and their, like, friends are holding him, and he's, like, jet skiing, and he, like, walks around like this, and he, it's like, I feel like sometimes, like, in the church, like, it's kind of this counterfeit life. And yet we're like, he's alive, I promise. He's got five gospel community leaders holding him up. I promise he's alive. <laughs> Here he is. And it's like, no. Like, we, like we're, the, we have the Spirit of God. Like, the stuff we're doing is, like, something that we cannot force. You cannot force this stuff. We can only make space and listen for that moment. You guys know this moment. I know you do. Where everything ceases and you feel like there's this spirit, this God is present and you can't describe it. And even if you're not a Christian, my guess is, is that you struggle with the fact that you live this life knowing that, thinking there's not a God, but at the same time there's this contradiction, this parasite that keeps telling you there is a God, there is beauty, there is purpose. And you wrestle with that. That's the voice of God. It's the voice of God. And so um, this is, uh, this, uh, sorry, I'm totally just getting a little sidetracked. Second, it's always used to strengthen comfort and encourage. Always. So if, when you're practicing this, this is not critical. This is not something you're criticizing. Um, it's always for the aim of love. It's always to strengthen. And so as you grow in this, um, the way you do this is not by if you get something that's critical, like I've gotten that, where it's like, oh my gosh, that feels really critical. That's not something I'm just going to go and tell somebody. <laughs> like, hey, and, and, and I get this sense from God that, and this has happened so wrong. And it's important that we, I'll get into this, but that we test. Um, I'm just, I'm going to go a little bit further in my notes. Basically, it says this in 1 Thessalonians 5. He says, don't despise prophecies. What does he mean? He says, first of all, here's, a, here's, a, here's some warnings. Don't despise them. Why would we despise them? Because people have practiced it immaturely. And we've, we've been hurt by that. And that's, we need to be gracious. But at the same time, we need to just sh- shrug that off. Like, that doesn't belong. That's not from God. That's okay. They got it wrong. It's not from God. Like, I've had someone, like, one time prophesy over me that was painting me in a very negative picture and then just started laughing. And I was like, not from you. <laughs> I don't think that the enemy actually paints me in a negative way and starts laughing. That's the voice of the enemy. That's not the voice of God. Now, did I go and tell them, hey, you really hurt me? No, I just like, yeah, they tried. It's okay. But not for me. Um, and so we, 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 the goal of this is to strengthen, to encourage. Rarely is it about the future. 
I'll say this, that New Testament prophecy, like the Old Testament prophecy, about the, rarely is it about the future, and if it is, it is about preparation, not prediction. It is preparing you for something, not trying to predict something. Often. I'm not saying it always. I'm not speaking for God. But just what I see in Scripture, this is what it is. So I want to give you um, w- one more thing. We should eagerly desire this. We should eagerly desire two more things. Several things. Sorry. It's been a crazy weekend, all right? All right. So we eagerly desire these things. Now, what do we eagerly desire in church? We desire better teaching. But he says, eagerly desire these gifts, especially prophecy. We desire better teachers. Like, like as if like, we need better, better teachers. And actually, James 4 says it's not good for many of you to desire to become teachers. But then he says this, like, we should eagerly desire. We can't live without the voice of God. We can't live without this. Like, we can live without bad teaching. We can be easily edified by anybody coming. Like, have you ever, yeah, sat under just really bad teaching? And you're just like, that was bad. You need to just read the Bible, sit down, right, right? But listen, like we, and then what do we do? We're like, hey, let's train you, let's grow you. Let's we don't have that same kind of patience and grace with the gift of prophecy. We're like, oh my gosh, totally used that wrong. Never, never again. It's like, no, we need to, okay, you might, if you're growing in this, you, first step is probably not to get up and get a microphone and speak over everybody. The first step is to like, Say it to somebody you love that you hear and say, is this it? Or to confide in someone who's already growing in it and be like, is this, you think this is from God? Like, test it. Test it. So he says, don't despise it. And he says, test everything. Test everything. And so, uh, so where, to, where to take it? So let me just give you a process. Three, three words. Um, the slide says revelation, interpretation, application. So there's three phrases. There's the revelation. There's the thing that you feel like God's giving you on behalf of someone else. Then there's the interpretation. I think that's what God is saying is this. And then there's the application. Now, this is very fluid. When you give a, do this, it's not like you have to have all three of these. It may just be the revelation. And in, and in our humanness, right, we prophesy in part, but one day we'll know in full, we are all capable of getting any of these wrong, but getting some of them right. So scripturally, Acts 21, there's this prophet named Agabus. He prophesied over Paul, and he says, I get this vision of me in Jerusalem, like, tied to your belt, so I'm going to go over here and tie myself to your belt crazy stuff. And he goes, and what God's saying in this is that you're not meant to leave Jerusalem. And Paul's like, I'm sorry, but back in this passage, I already saw from the Spirit that I'm supposed to go to Macedonia. So what happened? Agabus's revelation was right, but his interpretation was off, right? So like if God's, like someone's like, you're supposed to do this, and it's like, oh, your revelation may be right, but the interpretation may be wrong. And so what I'd encourage you to do is like, as people do this, like write them down. Write them down. Te- write them down that if someone speaks this over you, like pray over them, test Test, ask other people, um, and figure out how you're supposed to apply. Is that helpful? Yeah. All right, so I'm trying to give you some just practical stuff along the way. Um, okay, one more thing from 1 Corinthians. Prophecy is ordinary but supernatural. In 1 Corinthians 14, it says, So my brothers earnestly desire to prophesy and do not forbid speaking in tongues, but all things should be done decently in order. Um, the gift of prophecy is rational. It's not something that... I think it's, it's easy for us to believe that it has to be this like emotional experience, and it might be that, but it might not be. It might be completely rational. Just several times I feel like I get something from God, and it's completely rational. So he says, practice this in an orderly way. It requires maturity, but to grow in maturity always, always, always requires failure. Let me say that again. It requires maturity, but it, to grow in anything and to mature in anything requires failure. So you're going to make mistakes. Um, 
uh, for me, uh, there was one time at Ravenswood, there was a, the, the lunch lady that, that worked there, and I, um, I could tell she was having a hard day, and I started praying for her, and I just got this sense that, like, again, something wrong, something with her and her family dynamic that was wrong, something with her husband. I said, hey, I just see this picture of like, you and your husband. Um, it feels like maybe there's some conflict there. And she looked at me and went, what? I was like, oh, sorry, that was, yeah, I was completely wrong. Like, that was not, <laughs> I made a mistake. You know, I made a mistake. Um, there's other times where, um, I'm, I'm, as you grow in this, like uh, about three years ago, uh, Ashley and I were coming back from Mexico. Um, and uh, we didn't have our jackets on because we were on vacation. And um, we see this lady, and she's like, you guys got to be cold. And so we started talking to her, and she was on the train. And we just had this great bonding experience. She was visiting um, her kid here from, uh, who moved here, and she's thinking of moving to Chicago, working for, looking for work. And we're sitting here on the train. I just had that, like, divine moment where God was like, just tell her she's to be a light in dark places. It's like, okay. Um, that's a little random. She doesn't. I don't know if she's a Christian, spiritual, or anything. Um, so I was like, hey, I know this is random, but God, I feel like God's telling me to tell you that you're meant to be a light in dark places. And she goes, oh my gosh. She's like, uh, you don't know this, but I'm on the train right now to go to a very dark and um, destructive place for myself. And she goes, and now I'm no longer going there because you spoke that word. Um, she goes, hey, look me up. Um, type in my name when you get home, Susan Torres, New York Times. I was like, okay. So I type it up, and then this comes up. Single mother, creator of miracles. I'm like, okay, that's crazy, God. <laughs> You're like, how do you make this stuff up? And this story goes on to talk about how she got pregnant when she was 17, and she raised these kids right outside of New Jersey, and just amazing strength from this woman. So I just say that to say, like, you're going to make mistakes has nothing to do about my ability. That's so simple, but it's, it's, at the same time, this is simple stuff that God can use. Amen? Amen. So, um, let me just uh, close with one or two more stories, and we'll, we'll be done. Um, a friend of mine, um, uh, he's, he's another pastor, and um, he was telling me a story that he has a friend. <laughs> this is like two receptor moves, so I'm always like, okay, is this real? But he's a close friend. Um, so uh, his friend Mike went on this, this trip where they were leading a retreat, uh, a prayer retreat. And they took a prayer, group of prayer leaders overseas um, in the Europe area to this prayer retreat. And they're just having an ordinary dinner. The thing hasn't even started, no, no ministry time or anything like that. And um, one of the guys on the trip is Greek. And as he's sitting there, uh, he senses from God that he, he, for this other woman that's there, a word for her. And the word he gets is skadula. And so he speaks, he's like, God, you've got to be kidding me. Like, you're, this is weird. So in Greek, skadula is the word for um, human excrement. Um, it's, it's even stronger than that. It's the four-letter word for, it's the, the, the most coarse version of human excrement. You get the picture. I can't really say much more. So he's like, God, you're, this is like, he's, he's thinking to himself, like, Mike, his name's Mike. Mike, get it together. You're so childish. You're so stupid. Like, focus. Why are you doing this? Why are you even thinking this? And then his, the leader of the trip looks at Mike and says, hey, Mike, um, I feel like you got a word for this woman from God. He's like, oh, my gosh. He's like, so I either have to lie or I have to tell her skadula. And either she's probably not even going to speak Greek, so she's going to be confused, or she speaks Greek and she's going to slap me in the face. And so he's like, 
uh, yeah, I, I feel like, he says to the woman, I feel like God is telling me you're not a skadula. And so she just falls on the ground weeping, like weeping, weeping, weeping for, for minutes. And she finally gathers herself, and she says, she's married to a pastor. And she says, I was married to someone else, a Greek man. And he never called me by my name. He only called me my little skadula. And he would introduce me. Hey, here's my little skadula. And he says, hey, skadula, get this. And she was like, this is the deepest source of pain in her life, for all of her life, that, that she pushed down and covered up that nobody knew. Now, why wouldn't anybody want that? Why did that happen? It's because God wanted her to know that he was there the whole time. He was there the whole time. He was with her, ministering to her. That's what this gift is. It's to let us know that God is with you, that he loves you, that he sees you. Amen? And so I, I believe that um, I believe this is supposed to be something that we're to grow into. Um, and I'll be honest, like um, I, as your as the pastor here, I believe have um, somewhat held us back from this. Um, one because of damage done to my own self through this. Um, two, um, yeah, I won't get into it all, but I will say that there's also like a sense that I believe. Let's just. People can get really weird, <laughs> and I don't like, it's just a personality thing. Like, I'm like, it needs to be authentic, it needs to be real. Like, I don't want this place to get weird, so there's part of that is a, a spirit of control on my part, um, a spirit of fear. And so, like, for us to humble ourselves and say, um, but at the same time, like, I've seen churches practice this in a very normal way. Um, that's very genuine and honest, and, and I believe that God wants to do this and make this a normal part of our church. Um, that, this, that we can deliver these words to each other, speak these words, and it be very normative and bring life to you. Amen? Amen. So let's, let's pray.